I'm Attorney General Lawrence Wasden. I'd like to welcome you to Counsel for the State, a podcast produced by my office. Counsel for the State will shed light on my office, explain what we do, and discuss timely legal topics. Our aim is to increase transparency so constituents, journalists, and everyone with an interest in Idaho government can better understand how the Attorney General serves the state. With that, here is the Office of Attorney General Public Information Officer and Counsel for the State host, Scott Graff. Thank you very much, Attorney General Wasden. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Counsel for the State. We're calling this our first episode, AG 101. Our goal is to explain what it is that the AG does and what he does not do, what he can do and what he cannot do. And joining me to help do this today is Attorney General Lawrence Wasden. General Wasden, thank you for being here and uh, looking forward to tapping into your expertise. Thank you very much. And Brian Kane is the Assistant Chief Deputy in the Office of the Attorney General. So, Lawrence, when you are, let's say you're at an airport getting ready to hop on an airplane and somebody steps up and says, hey, AG, what is it that you do? What is your speech there in the airport terminal or the hotel elevator about what the AG of Idaho actually does? There's a great deal of confusion about what the attorney general does. And so I try to short circuit all of that and, and say, look, there are two basic responsibilities that I have. One, I give legal advice to uh, state officers. And that is, I, it's not my personal view. It's not my personal ad, uh, advice. It is legal advice. And secondly, I represent the state in court. I don't always do that by myself. I have a staff of about 220 people, about 120 lawyers that, that do that. But my two main functions are, one, to give sound, objective, straightforward legal advice and secondly, to represent those state entities in court. One thing we should probably talk about is at some point, this would probably be a good opportunity. Uh, you're, you're on the program because this is your office, this is your podcast, but you've also been AG for a long time. Tell us just a little bit about your background as the Attorney General. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, um, I was elected for the first time in 2002, so I've had five successful campaigns for Attorney General. I'm now in my 17th year, I think. Yes, 17th year. And so I've been around the block a time or two. And in Idaho, the attorney general is elected on a four-year cycle. My job, as I said, is to represent state government. It's not to represent individuals. And it's not to render my personal view. I'm not a policymaker like the legislature. The legislature is choosing among various policies. That is, what do we think the law should be? That's not what the Attorney General does. My job is to say, does this proposal fit within the confines of the Constitution or does it not? Does it, how does it intermix with other statutes? Not, this is a good piece of legislation or this is a bad piece of legislation. So my background is that I worked as a deputy attorney. I actually was in, in uh, private practice and I was a 
deputy prosecutor and a prosecuting attorney before coming to work for the attorney general's office. I then litigated tax cases at the tax commission and then was the deputy chief of staff. I was the Brian Kane of a new of a previous era. And then I was the chief of staff, ran the office, and then ran and was elected as attorney general and have served for five terms. And it's a good opportunity to bring Brian into the conversation. Brian, one of the things that I've heard you say and Lawrence say as well when talking to constituents and and student groups who might come through the office for a a visit, uh, the AG's office is essentially an umpire calling balls and strikes fairly and squarely. Explain that. So I think that the way that the attorney general explained it is, is really accurate. We just do the law. We don't get into whether the law is a good idea or a bad idea. Now, certain laws may cross the threshold to becoming a bad idea because they're simply unconstitutional, um, but we don't, we don't deliver that as part of our advice. We simply give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether or not we can legally defense uh, the statute. And that's our responsibility. We have a, both a constitutional and a statutory obligation to defend the enactments of the state of Idaho. And Lawrence, I think one thing that perhaps you've been criticized for in the past is maybe calling things in some people's mind maybe a little bit too fairly, too squarely, calling those balls and strikes that way. But why is it so important in your mind that somebody who holds this position does it the way that you do it and not inject their personal opinion or or, or shade a legal analysis of uh, whatever it may be at hand uh, for a political purpose? The best way I can describe that for you is uh, let's just pretend for a moment that you and I are driving down the street in a car and we see a traffic signal, a red light, and you turn to me and you say to me, what color is the light? I have one of two answers I can give you. I can either tell you the truth and I can say the light is red, or I can lie to you and I can tell you that the light is green. And if I'm willing to lie to you and tell you that the light is green, the problem is it doesn't change the color of the light. The light is still red. And so if you then act on my advice to you that the light is green, you're going to go through the intersection and you're going to suffer the consequences of running that red light and crashing into somebody or somebody's going to hit you when you run through that intersection. So I haven't really advanced your cause by being willing to lie to you. The best thing I can do for you is to tell you the truth, that the light is red. And it's the very same way with legislation. It's not a function of shading an analysis. It is to squarely and fairly and objectively render an opinion as to what the color of the light is. Is the light red? And I should say the light is red. If it is green, I should say that it is green. If we don't know, we have to say we don't know. And that actually is the best thing that I can do for decision makers is to give them the hard, good, objective, straightforward facts. Now, what happens, however, is that once that decision is made, we then move on to the courtroom. 
And my job is changes once that decision gets made. If in this scenario, legislation that you perhaps have waited on said this may have some constitutional issues, it's passed, somebody steps forth once it's, it's signed into law and does in fact file a lawsuit saying this is unconstitutional, then it goes to court and your role changes. My role changes. My job then is to advance the legal arguments in defense of that legislative choice made either by the people or by the legislature. They made that policy choice. My job is to defend it. It doesn't matter whether I agree with it or disagree with it. It doesn't matter whether I think we're going to win or lose. Uh, It doesn't matter whether I think it's good public policy or bad public policy. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I am the elected representative, the lawyer for the, the citizens, and my job is to present the legal arguments to the court in defense of their policy choice. The court then makes the determination of whether we win or whether we lose. So I'm sitting here as a person who's not an attorney, and both of you are. Tell me what goes on in the mind of an attorney who then essentially has to do a 180 to say, okay, I, I, we weighed in on this. It has some issues. It went ahead and passed. Now I'm in the position of defending it against somebody who's probably also pointing out those very issues. So I think it's worth um, taking one step back as we we answer that. And I think that, you know, when you look at the ability or, or the requirement that the attorney general call balls and strikes, you know, part of that is that the attorney general answers as the attorney to three different groups. He answers to the citizens of Idaho that elected him and put him in office. He answers to the officers of the state that he represents and advises on a daily basis. But then he also answers to the court system. And if he doesn't call balls and strikes, his credibility among those three different groups suffers. And as attorneys, we actually have a duty of candor, being truthful, to the court. And so if we don't call balls and strikes and we're not seen as credible by the court, then it becomes impossible for us to advance the state's legal arguments. And I think that's the real key here to why it's so important that the attorney general call balls and strikes. And I guess in the analogy of the intersection and the green light, red light, uh, if you tell somebody, a client, that the light is green when in fact it's red, you're actually potentially as the state's attorney um, hurting other clients, right? The people who pay the insurance. Absolutely. And in in, in the courtroom, too, if I say, if I I give them the wrong color of the light, it damages our credibility. And in in fact, we've had instances when we have opined on a piece of legislation, said there are constitutional infirmities. It has been passed. And we go to court and recognize that I said we make the legal arguments in support of that uh, legislation. We cannot make fallacious arguments. We can't make false arguments in support of that. We've actually had to stipulate that some portions of it violated the Constitution because the case law very directly said it violates the Constitution. I can't argue around that. I have to live with the law as it exists, and we've had to stipulate that some portions of that were unconstitutional. Now, incidentally, there were other portions of that uh, specific statute that we said are constitutional. The court disagreed with us. We went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and we won. And the court said, yeah, you're right. That, that part is constitutional. So we have to recognize that we, there is a limitation to the arguments that we present in court, and that is we have to make 
good, clear, objective legal arguments. We can't just make it up. Brian, shed some light on the the previous question about being the attorney when you have issued an opinion saying this piece of legislation or whatever it may be has some issues, but then a few months down the road, you're put in the position of defending it against somebody who's arguing probably the exact arguments you made in the uh, initial analysis. So, I mean, that's always one of those sticky spots that it's it's difficult to find yourself in. Um, But I also think that that's part of um, the law is that Yes, there are arguments for why something may not meet constitutional requirements, but then there's likely equal arguments on the other side for why it is. And as an attorney, you know, one of our responsibilities is to advance good faith arguments. And sometimes a good faith argument can be to reverse existing law. And we're actually seeing some of that debate play out right in front of us right now uh, nationally. Um, And it's kind of risen to the forefront based on some recent Supreme Court appointments. And I think that's one of the things, you know, just because we point out that something is unconstitutional, uh, it doesn't mean that we can't then also argue that the interpretation of that is incorrect and should be reinterpreted. And there are times when the legislature will come to us and say, look, we know that this has constitutional challenges but we want you to argue to see if you can get that law changed. Um, and that's part of our obligation as attorneys for the state. And in following up on that, too, the fact that we have issued an opinion saying that a certain piece of legislation violates the Constitution doesn't mean it's good or bad. It may be the most brilliant thing ever known to mankind and yet not fit within the confines of the Constitution. It's not a value judgment about that piece of legislation. It's simply saying the light is red. That's all, that's all we're saying. And I think I, the, the one thing to keep in mind when you talk about legislation is uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor referred to states as the laboratories of democracy. And if you've ever set foot inside of any laboratory, you know that there are experiments that work very well, and then there are experiments that blow up the lab. Um, and I think that part of this, part of the evolution of our government is that we are still laboratories for our democracy and our republic, and this is part of that process every day. So this conversation is in the context of, of the AG's office being the attorney for the state legislature. But as we touched on briefly before, there are many, many state agencies, offices, boards. I was looking uh, the other day at a roster, one of uh, our contracts uh, attorneys sent over, of, of which attorneys in that particular division are assigned to help different boards. The the Potato Commission, for instance, has a deputy attorney general assigned to them. I also noticed the horse board had a DAG assigned to them. Un- to that point, I was unaware that the state of Idaho had a, a horse board. But we do, as deputy AGs in the office here, a very wide array of legal work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have a wide range. Uh, we represent the governor if he requests us to do so. Uh, We represent the legislature if they request us to do so. We represent the the judicial branch of government, the courts, if they request us to do so. We have another whole segment of clients that we are required to provide them legal services, and they're required to get their legal services from us. And then there's a much larger number of uh, there's a larger number of smaller boards that they may get their legal services from us, and we can provide those services if we find an agreement about how to do that. Now, one of the things that's important to note about that is that 
among those various clients, I don't make those clients' decisions. They make their own decisions. My job is to advise them. They can accept or reject my advice, and I don't have the ability to compel them to follow my advice. But yet, once they make their decision, it's the same principles. I still have to, my responsibility as their lawyer is to represent their legal position in court. They may lose, they may win, uh, but my job is to advance the legal arguments with the limitation that I cannot make unethical arguments, uh, but is to advance their position in court. Let's talk a little bit about organizational structure. Okay. Uh, let's see if between the three of us we can put our heads together and off the top of those heads name all seven divisions of the Office of the Attorney General. I'll start by saying perhaps the most high profile, and that's the Consumer Protection Division. Correct. What else? Well, there's the Civil Litigation Division. Two. And their job is to litigate civil cases. Natural Resources Division. And they do what I call fish, air, dirt, and water. <laughs> uh, they litigate all of those natural resource issues. It's and the, the critters. And the critters. That's correct. And they do critters. And um, the uh, Human Services Division, which represents the Department of Health and Welfare. And uh, the Administrative Law Division, and they represent a lot of small boards and agencies, and it's called Contracts in Administrative Law, and they do contracting work as well. And then there is the... um, Criminal? Criminal Division. I don't know how I nearly forgot that. They handle about 100 to 150 or so special prosecutions every year and they also represent the state in somewhere between 750 and a thousand criminal appeals every year so they also provide legal services to uh, the Idaho State Police the Department of Correction and Department of Juvenile Corrections and they house our ICAC unit and as they well house our ICAC unit and internet they, crimes against children correct and so uh, manage across the state in cooperation with both federal law enforcement agencies, county and city law enforcement agencies and prosecutors, the investigation of uh, crimes against children on the Internet. This is uh, child pornography and exploitation and abuse of children. So that's a very important function for us. Uh, We have uh, our um, administrative... Administration division. Administration division, I'm sorry. And they're responsible for our, our pencils, our computers, our paper, all that kind of stuff. Pay, payroll, that's an important that part of important. what we do. That is important. Uh, and so, see, who else do we have? I think that's all seven. That's okay. all seven. Hey, yeah. that wasn't too bad, nice was it? Nice job. I yeah. put you on the spot. You, you <laughs> nailed it. Uh, and speaking of the Internet Crimes Against Children and some of these other topics, consumer protection, these are, these are all going to be future episodes uh, of Counsel for the State, Great. the Office of the Attorney General uh, podcast, which you are listening to right now. We appreciate you um, tuning in. So one of the things that... Um, I think we have an opportunity to do with our, our podcast is sort of talk about not only the things that the office does, but some of the things that the office doesn't do or simply cannot do. And one of the components of, of my job is is talking to constituents who, who have issues and who pick up the phone or email us to ask questions of the office. And one of the things we often get, um, you know, is essentially a message from a constituent. Look, I've got a personal legal situation. I'm an Idahoan. I pay taxes I need you guys to, to step up and represent me in this particular matter. And the answer, A.G. Wasden, as you know, has to be, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Why does that have to be that answer? That's because it's prohibited by the law. 
very simply. Uh, you know, oftentimes uh, they'll say, well, aren't you the people's lawyer? And I'm a people, therefore you're my lawyer. And w- under the law, the attorney general represents the people collectively, not individually. And uh, furthermore, the, the law names the specific groups to which I am or to whom I am to provide uh, legal services, and it's not individuals. So when you have a divorce case, as an example, the attorney general is not allowed to represent you uh, as the attorney general as an individual in your divorce. That's not how that happens. I don't represent you, even though it may have statewide implications in your divorce case. Uh, we do not represent you as individuals. We represent you collectively. That is through your elected representatives, through the agencies of state government. Um, you know, the citizens uh, passed an initiative this past election, and that initiative was challenged. We are, were responsible for representing the citizens collectively in defending that initiative choice. So it's not as individuals, and it's because we are precluded by the law from representing you as individuals. And I think that there's some confusion from that because, for example, through our Consumer Protection Division, we represent groups of Idaho consumers who've been harmed in some way. Um, And part of the resolution of those suits often includes a restitution element. And, you know, three examples that spring to mind are our settlement agreement with Apple, uh, our settlement agreement with Volkswagen, and the mortgage foreclosure settlement. Those all involve significant um, components where individual Idaho citizens may have um, been made whole or partially whole again. But even in that context, we're not representing them as individuals. We're representing them as the group of Idaho citizens that have been harmed. In fact, about six months ago, um, there was an individual. She was very, very angry with me, uh, refused to shake my hand because I had not represented her in a private dispute she had with her lender. Um, And that isn't my role. She was unwilling to listen to to what I was trying to say to her. But the answer is I we don't represent them even in that context as individuals. It's, it is a group. It may be uh, a lender who has violated the law, and we, we attack that, that issue, but it's not as individuals. And even though the office answer has to be, I'm sorry, as the state's attorney, we can't represent you, it's not to say there aren't resources out there that people can go to for legal assistance. There's no, there's, some, there's great resources out there. I mean, if you contact the state bar, Um, They have a lawyer referral service. They've got a volunteer lawyer project. Um, The law school has some uh, clinics where they assist folks uh, in legal issues through. And then uh, Idaho Legal Aid also uh, assists folks with legal issues. And so if 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 you're afraid that you don't have the means to hire an attorney, these programs are there to kind of help fill that void. And attorneys also render pro bono service. That means uh, they render legal representation without fee. Uh, And so, you know, there are a variety of other resources that can be used. Similarly, we'll answer the phone and folks will say, I'm very upset with my local city council. They have been considering matter X and I and dozens and dozens of of my my city mates, my my fellow residents of this particular city have have shown up to the public hearing and we have testified against this measure and they still went ahead and by golly, they 
put it into law. And now we all have to abide by this. I need you to step in and, and come tell the city council how to properly do their job. The answer in that case is can't do it. That we can't do it. Exactly right. No one gave me a magic wand when I was elected attorney general. And specifically with regard to the cities, we don't have supervisory authority. We don't have the ability to command the mayor and the city council about how to perform their function. Um, And we do have some responsibility with regard to investigations of elected county officials. That's it. Not city elected county officials and that is not even the county generally and it's not employees of the county it is only elected county officials so people like commissioners commissioners coroner coroner treasurer so on and so forth uh but it is very limited in its scope uh that we have a responsibility to examine those issues now there's an, another element here, and that is in special prosecution. Well, you prosecuted so-and-so, but you didn't prosecute this guy. Well, the answer is we don't have primary prosecutorial authority. By statute, we don't have primary prosecutorial authority. The primary prosecutorial authority lies in the hands of the county prosecutor for each county across the state. And the primary purpose of investigation lies in the hands of the county sheriff. I do not have statewide prosecutorial authority. I do have, by statute, some concurrent jurisdiction on some limited number of crimes, typically involves white collar or environmental crimes. Uh, So we don't have generalized prosecutorial authority. That's different from some other states, say Rhode Island. Rhode Island is the prosecutor in the entire state. That is not the way it happens in the state of Idaho. And furthermore, in order for me to step into such a case, something has to happen prior to that. And that is either the sitting uh, prosecuting attorney or, in some instances, the Board of County Commissioners must file a petition in district court, and the court then enters an order appointing me as a special prosecutor. I don't even have authority to file a petition to be appointed as a special prosecutor. So when we say to you that we can't prosecute that case, it's because we can't prosecute that case. So a hypothetical situation, somebody calls and the police chief of a certain city has done something, in their mind, very egregious, and maybe the facts actually support that, that, that something really illegal has happened here. You say, very hypothetical situation, to heck with the law, I'm going to go in and and have this gentleman arrested, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prosecute him. What happens in that prosecution if you don't have the authority to be there? The defense will bring, an act, uh, will bring a motion to dismiss based upon my lack of authority, and they will win hands down in the courtroom. So if you don't have the authority, you, there's nothing you can do outside of being invited in. That's correct. Okay. And, I, and I don't get to invite myself. Now, I think people were so connected to news these days, and people are reading what other AG's offices are doing. Um, late last summer, I think it was the uh, about the time the, the Pennsylvania Attorney General convened a grand jury and did a very thorough investigation, and charges came out of that um, in regards to the statewide Catholic diocese, I believe, Catholic officials across the state of Pennsylvania. So what happens in such cases, our phone then rings, and it's it's press, uh, usually national press, uh, and they're essentially doing a roll call of state AG's offices saying, okay, uh, Pennsylvania AG Josh Shapiro did this. When is Lawrence Wasden in the state of Idaho going to do this? And 
one of the things that we have to sort of take a moment to educate them on is that not all AG's offices are set up exactly the same way. In fact, it's many are quite quite different from one another. Absolutely different from one another. And in in the Pennsylvania instance, they had specific statutory authority they were relying on. No such authority exists in the state of Idaho. And as I mentioned, I don't have statewide prosecutorial authority. We would not have legal authority to convene a grand jury for that purpose. Uh, And as a consequence, we could not go forward with something like that. The prosecutorial authority, as I have mentioned, lies within the hands of of each county prosecuting attorney within the confines of their county. If you think for a second that there are 50 states, and so then there are 50 state attorneys general, no two of those attorneys general have the same authority. It's different from state to state to state. Um, And I think that that, again, kind of reflects you know, that the states are these laboratories of democracy. And so each state kind of adjusts what their attorney general's authority is based on the needs of that specific state. And in fact, you look just to the east of us, uh, sister state, a lot of similarities, Montana. The Montana attorney general uh, has authority and responsibility for the Montana State Police and and the crime lab. Uh, that does not fall under the jurisdiction of the Idaho Attorney General. By law, that falls under the authority of the Idaho State Police. And so our function in that regard is very different. Uh, we have other issues uh, on which we're very similar, but on that issue, we're very, very different. We also talk sometimes about the prosecution in the state of Rhode Island because that is a very different system than what we have here. In Idaho, it's 44 elected county prosecutors in Rhode Island. It's something completely different. That is absolutely true. Rhode Island, they're a statewide prosecutor. And in fact, uh, in my time in the office of the Attorney General, we uh, many years ago had supervisory authority over the county prosecutors. But our Supreme Court issued a case and said, uh, that doesn't mean that you can displace those prosecutors. And so ultimately, the legislature removed that supervisory authority of the of the uh, Attorney General over county prosecutors. So we do not have supervisory authority. We cannot tell them what to do. Can you tell local police what to do? How to interpret and enforce a law? No, we do not have that authority either. Uh, About what we could do under those circumstances, say something like the fireworks issue. We can be asked a question and by certain named persons, say a legislator, and we're required by the law to issue an opinion, that is, to answer their legal question. We answer that legal question in accordance with both the facts and the law, calling in balls and strikes, red light, green light. And in this case, this was a request for an opinion on the legality of aerial fireworks Correct. in the state of Idaho. Correct. And the office's criminal division issued an opinion essentially saying, looking at the law, basically we don't think these are in fact legal. Correct. And that is based upon longstanding statute. It has nothing to do with whether, I mean, the claim was we changed the law concerning fireworks. We don't have the authority to change the law. We didn't change the law concerning fireworks. We rendered a legal opinion to a legislator making a request. Once we've done that, we don't have the authority to compel the local prosecutor or the police chief or the sheriff or the city prosecutor to comply with that opinion. That is their 
area of concern and responsibility, and they get to make the choices of what they're going to do. So to follow that through in, in practicality, if I come this 4th of July, I've got a batch of aerial fireworks I bought, and I, I'm in Canyon County, and let's say the Canyon County Sheriff and Prosecutor say, eh, we, we actually interpret that law a little bit differently. We, we're going to let these go, and we're not going to, to charge people. But in maybe just a few feet to the east in Ada County, you have a different enforcement uh, priority based on where you are and what jurisdiction you could be charged uh, with, with doing the exact same thing. That's entirely possible. And the answer is that I don't have the ability to change the outcome. That outcome would have to be changed through the legislative process, passing a statute, and then um, that's up to those local authorities to enforce that statute. I don't have the ability to do that. Brian, one of the things that we have mentioned is this is, in fact, the name of the podcast is Council for the State. Are there ever attorneys brought in or let me put that a different way can an outside non-ag's attorney ever represent the state of idaho so it is possible and certain certain entities have the ability to hire their own attorneys um, within their discretion and so for example uh, the state legislature could go out and hire their own attorney uh, or the governor could go out and hire uh, his own attorney Uh, The one distinguisher is that even though those attorneys may represent those entities, they would not be considered deputy attorneys general, and they wouldn't be able to represent the state as a whole. They would be limited only to representing whoever it is that hired them. Uh, The other thing is that the state actually does hire uh, outside attorneys um, quite often to represent the state in lawsuits, and they uh, all answer to Attorney General Wasden. They are considered Deputy Attorneys General, Uh, and even though our office may sound like a larger organization, it's actually fairly small when you consider it against the backdrop of the size of Idaho. Um, And so it's one of those things that we just don't have the resources within our office to handle every legal issue that comes up, and from time to time we do have to go outside the office. In fact, if you consider the fact that Idaho has about a $6.3 billion annual budget, uh, that is the federal portion and the general fund portion, that's a very sizable financial operation. And if you compared that in the corporate world, you would say, boy, you know, that's pretty uh, pretty lean and green in terms of the number of lawyers that we have. You have that size of an operation. It takes a lot of legal resources to keep that thing moving forward and not getting itself entangled in a bunch of, of issues, uh, legal issues. And so as a consequence, we really have a pretty lean operation, and uh, people don't always understand uh, that we are that efficient in terms of uh, of our operation. They say, well, does it really take that many lawyers? And the answer is, yeah, it takes that many lawyers and probably takes more. So right now, at this given moment, we're, uh, we're taping this on a, 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 th- a Thursday late morning, about 110, 20 attorneys across. About 120 across uh, in-house attorneys that we have. Uh, about a total complement of about 220. So what right now, in terms of, of being the attorney for uh, an entity that has a, a six-plus billion dollar budget, what, what are some of the, the legal 
I don't want to say minute, but what are the small? You know, we see Brian arguing in front of the the Supreme Court, and that's it's very obvious what the AG's office is doing on that particular day. But day in and day out, there's a lot of minutia in terms of of running a six billion dollar operation that that has to occur. What are some of the the, the le- lesser known tasks that attorneys may be doing across the office right um, now? Reviewing contracts uh, that to, to purchase a road grader or something else of that nature. Uh, we do that routinely and regularly. We don't. Um, we do with that when we're asked by our client to do that, and sometimes they, our clients don't want us to because they don't <laughs> want to hear what we have to say. But uh, but that's a pretty regular or routine thing. Uh, going to administrative hearings, uh, representing uh, the agencies before the courts. Uh, all of those things are pretty routine kinds of things that we do. A lot of it you would never even see in the paper, typically. And then there's there's even you know just the day to day legal legal advice on day to day business decisions. You know, helping agencies comply with public records requests, helping agencies uh, comply with the open meetings law, getting them through um, personnel decisions. Uh, all of the little things that go into running essentially uh, a business, which is, I mean, the state, it's a government, but a lot of it is very similar to what a business would would face on a day-to-day basis. And in, and we're not saying that government is a business, but a lot of the managerial responsibilities, those kinds of decisions are similar and comparable. Is there anything else that you gentlemen would like to add here in our, our episode one, our pilot episode of Council for the State? We've done a lot of talking about what it is that the AG's office can and can't do. Is there anything that we that we missed that as soon as we hit the, the stop button on the recorder, we'll want to go back and turn it on? Yeah, I guess the one thing I would say is that I, I don't have the ability to compel my clients to make decisions that people like. Uh, I perhaps could chase them down the hallway and tackle them. That's probably not the most professional thing that a person could do, and uh, I'm not really willing to do that, but I don't have the ability to make the decisions for a DEQ or for the State Tax Commission or for the Department of Health and Welfare. Someone the other day said, well, can't you just pick up the phone and tell them what to do? And the answer is no, I, I can't do that. I advise them, I represent them, but I cannot usurp the authority that they have to make those decisions. In fact, we actually... Um within the office we sometimes joke amongst each other you know can you imagine if we woke up and had half of the authority (laughs) that folks think we have um, and what the world would look like then and I think you know one of the things to keep in mind is that whenever and this is the same across the board in any attorney-client relationship the attorney dispenses the advice it's then up to the client the recipient of the advice to either take it or not take it. And it's the same way in any sort of adver- advisorial relationship, right? If you're a parent and you tell your child, hey, you need to pick up your clothes and make your bed, you can't make them do it. They're going to do it or not. Now, you may punish them for not uh, picking up their clothes, uh, or you may even decide to cave and pick up their clothes for them. But at the end of the day, you've dispensed the advice. They're free to take it or not take it. Uh, and it's not any different in government. Just because the attorney general has you know, one of the greatest titles in state government doesn't mean that people are automatically bound by what he says. Um, I personally think that they'd be well served to take his advice, uh, 
Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> but but I think that that's one of those things to always keep in mind is that you know part of part of being in our republic and part of having freedom is understanding that inclusive with that freedom is the freedom to reject your attorney's advice. Absolutely, General. Anything else? No. I thank you very much for the opportunity, and I hope we have some some good discussions to come. Absolutely, nice work, both of you. So the voices: Attorney General Lawrence Wasden and Brian Kane, the Assistant Chief Deputy here in the Office of the Attorney General. I'm Public Information Officer Scott Graff. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Council for the State. Remember, Council for the State will be archived at ag.idaho.gov online. That's the AG's website. Also, each episode will be available through popular podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music. See you next time.